everyone. Today is October 7, 2010. Welcome to Neuroscientist Talk Shop, UTSA's neurobiology podcast. Our guest today is Ranier Gutierrez, who is an assistant professor of pharmacology and runs the Neurobiology of Appetite Laboratory at the Center for Research and Advanced Studies, also known as Simvestav in Mexico City. His lab uses genetic approaches, pharmacology, and ensemble recordings and behaving rats to explore how appetite is modulated in the distributed network that drives feeding behaviors. Hello, Ranier. Hey, how are you? Uh, around the room, we've got Fidel Santa Maria. Hi, how are you? Charlie Wilson. Hello. Uh, Todd Troyer. Hello. And me, I'm your host, Salma Qureshi. Rodent ingestion centers on, on licking behavior. I guess it begins and ends there, and, and that's very important. So you've recorded from most areas of this broad feeding network um, and found a clear correspondence with licking behavior and neural activity across the board, but with one exception that we'll get back to. So could you take us through the network that governs feeding and summarize your ideas about the significance of licking behavior to the function of that network? All right. Um, well, the feeding is uh, regulated by a network, a brain network, that includes the orbitofrontal cortex, the gustatory cortex, the amygdala, and the insular cortex, that is also known as the gustatory cortex. Um, so somehow the interaction between these brain regions allows the animal to approach to food and eat, to have the motivation to eat and feed itself until satiety, right? So that's what we are doing is trying to understand what is the interaction between these neurons and during feeding behavior. So it's very simple to study feeding behavior with leaking um, because uh, liquid foods are better handled than solid foods, so we can know exactly when the tongue is moving, the way that the tongue is moving, and then we can correlate the neural activity during feeding liquid foods much easier than with uh, solid, solid food, right? Hmm. So the question that we are trying to answer is how the interaction between these regions happens during feeding. What is happening in the brain when the animal is hungry, when it gets hated, and that's the goal of my of my laboratory. One day, trying to paint out uh, the circuit that allows an animal to eat and sometimes overeat. That will be more important, actually. Okay. So, are you so are you assuming that the the when you start with licking, right, is licking behavior, sure. then the animal's already licking. Right, so are you and you can you cover recording a lot of the response to this uh, to this behavior, right? And what where it goes. And so, do you, are you assuming it's the same network that starts the animal to lick, or you say they kind of lick and then they decide whether they should keep going? Yeah, that's a nice question, Troy. Uh, in, in fact, we don't think this. We we observe that these four brain regions are entrained by the leaking. Um, for example, there will be the frontal cortex, the insular cortex, and the amygdala mainly. Are, the activity are entrained by the rhythm of leaking, which occurs at 6 hertz. And we are trying to understand what are the interactions that happens there. And what we observe is that leaking can serve as a clock, as a global common clock that can synchronize the neural activity in different parts of the brain, right? Um, we are expecting to see what are the functional application of this, maybe what information these, these brain regions can transfer during leaking, leaking rhythm, right? Um, but let's see what happened in the, the 
experiment. So in the, the licking rhythm, I mean, you say the parts of the brain are entrained by right. the licking, right. but really the licking happens because some part of the brain is making a rhythmic yeah. output. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so it's kind of what came first. Yes, you know, exactly. The, so the or the and this is this is this is interesting now. There are the motor components, the CPG, the central pattern generator that induces leaking, is located in the brainstem, in the reticular formation. So that's where the hypoglossal nuclei it's moving the tongue, right? And the reticular formation contains neurons that oscillate with leaking, and they actually are the clock. They are the the ones that are related to movement, moving the tongue. But we think that. Other parts of the brain that are entrained by leaking are not related purely to motor components of leaking. So they can be used as a clock instead of like a, they are not inducing uh, uh, the leaking behavior. So to give an example, the cerebrate rats uh, can leak normally if you feed the rats uh, with a cannula, but they don't leak voluntarily. So the decision to go and start feeding, it's somehow dedicated or it's stored in the brain, in the forebrain. But the brainstem contains the motor CPG for leaking. So, right. so it's two different, a, two different things. I think of a couple of possibilities. Like one of them is the 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 gustatory system sure. is oscillating at six hertz, right. and the tongue is going at six hertz, and they just become phase locked with mm-hmm. each other. Another possibility is there's a efferent copy that, go, that goes from the motor system to sure. the olfactory system and gustatory system sure. and, and then trains it. Another one is that the sensory, somatosensory input right. with looking. So do we know which, how, how that, yeah. which it is? So we explore, we explored those possibilities. So we found that the nerves that are entrained by leaking are dependent on learning. So if the animal learn the task, there are more neurons that are entrained by leaking. Uh, other aspect, important aspect, is that not the nerves don't fire in all the leak cycles. So they just have a preferred cycles where they fire. And this indicates that it's not pure motor, neither somatosensory, because there are periods where the animal can be leaking and the cells don't fire in synchrony with leaking. But somehow, at some points, some neurons start riding to the clock of, or listen to the clock of leaking rhythm, and then they got in train, right? So we think it's more dynamic now. Under this view, leaking rhythm can be a clock that can be used at different part, at different times, sorry, different times, and in a more dynamic way than just being somatosensory or, or motor. Meaning motor they, related. they have their own uh, six hertz uh, oscillation that then that they might exhibit even when there's no looking going on in some kind of... No, not really. We we always observe when there is leaking, there is oscillatory activity, right? So it's the leaking that entrains activity. They don't have this oscillation uh, by itself. So they they are not the CPG. So it's either motor or somatosensory that entrains them, or maybe there would be a... Another sensory component that could entrain. Uh, yeah, it might be another one that is not sensory nor motor. Um, let me explain you. So, but but uh, I have a question now that you sure. mentioned that um, not all the cells fire um, at every single oscillation. Every single. Is leak. there is there a possibility that they only fire 
one burst and then uh, the oscillation is just because they will, whenever they fire, they fire. There, it's not that they're oscillating. Right, they are being right. entrained by, by the leak. Right, and then you just have like a scene fire chain that then when you average these things out, uh, it looks like an oscillation. Hmm. So if we compute the coherent analysis of these neurons, so we can see that the neurons are face-locked to specific leak cycles. For example, in a phase discrimination task where the animal have to, to decide they, they have to leak to get a queue, a taste queue, and they have to decide if they will go for a reward if there is a positive queue or avoid going because there is a quinine um, to avoid a, a punishment, <clears throat> right? So some of the neurons oscillate with leaking only when the animal has to make the decision if they will go or not go, right? So that somehow rules out the possibility that this is just pure sensory or just or, or motor responses, so it can have other cognitive functions too, right? In fact, we observe that the nerves that in, are entrained with leaking and discriminate the cues, that learn to discriminate the cues, are contains more information than nerves that that do not uh, are entrained by by leaking, right? But but you are you are you are right, so. We, when we average the activity of many of the neurons, some of the neurons are face-locking specific leak cycles. When we average them, so we need to average all of them to decode all the phases of the leak cycle. So there is many neurons that are face-locked to specific phases of the leak cycle. So, for example, tongue protrusion or tongue retraction, right? So when we take the average, we can decode the whole leak cycle of the rat. But it's a population that is decoding this. Right, 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 right. But at the single trial level, it might be just like a sequence, right? It, it is a burst of one neuron and then a burst of a second neuron somewhere else in the same area mm-hmm. that they're recording and so on. It's exactly. Not like they are exactly. Oscillating. So the combination... The combination locked, all of them are face-locked at a certain phase. They don't fire because of whatever reason... Right. And then the average looks like an oscillation, but it's not necessarily that right. a That's single right. trial you have an oscillatory fire, spiking rate oscillation. Right. Yeah. So but it's still a teaching this is just a question of the winding number. You say the winding number is one, that makes it a sequence. If the winding number is something other than one, then it's... Right. Yeah. Although, although leaking is, is stereotypical in bouts, right? I mean, you have right. eight to ten... It's uh, four to seven. Four to seven. No, no, no. But that's the frequency, and then you have a certain number of stereotypical leaks, right? Um, Oh, yes, yes. So the animal can leak uh, constantly or rhythmically for more or less three leaks in a row or up to, I don't know, maybe 30 or 40 leaks in a row. And then it makes a pause, and then it comes back and leak rhythmically again. And in that pause, there's no rhythmic firing either. There's no rhythmic firing. That's right. That's Mm -hmm. right. So they breathe in? Is that the pause? Yes, they they breathe during the (laughs) breathing. No, no, but breathing is the same frequency. So they are entirely related, the breathing and the leaking. They are regulated. No, but they breathe while they leak. No. 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 
No, the babies can do that. I thought they have the... So there are other rhythms that are about the same yes. frequency, like, like sniffing and whisking. Sniffing and whisking, exactly. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, seven to eight yeah. that's uh, an interesting question. Uh, so the animal explores their environment actively by these three rhythmic behaviors, sniffing, whisking, and licking, right? And... So is, licking is not the only phenomenon that happens in a rhythmic manner. And also they have observed in the sniffing and whisking that the brain cells can be synchronized to this rhythm. So somehow it serves like an LFP signal, oscillatory signal, where the cells can face lock their spike timing. But in this case it's an external, but importantly it's a common and global signal for the whole brain, right? So that's important. That's a difference in relation to the LFP. But not every part of the brain is engaged in all three of these, because it sounds That's like right. the parts you're studying are only paying attention to licking, not to sniffing or whisking. Is that right? Uh, I, I don't know if, if if they use different clocks or the same neuron are in train for the three rhythmic behaviors. Uh, I'm not sure of that. But they don't I don't lick. think, they don't think that's the case. Whisk while they're licking? Right. They don't, right? No, they, they don't. They retract. They, they retract. They must sniff in between... That's what I was saying. So between bouts, yes. No, well, the, the um, sniffing rhythm at seven hertz is only during exploratory behavior. Oh. So, so, so it happens actually when the animal is approaching to get to start drinking. Mm-hmm. So when the animal start approaching and, and start feeding, the sniffing rhythm can can be at that frequency. But during getting the reward, is different. Rats are very rhythmic animals. Everything it is. seems rhythmic. And and. And this is a nice way to to sense the environment actively. So the animal go and explore the environment by sniffing and go and drink actively by drinking or licking, right? And the responses that we observe are very rapid. So in one lick cycle, that means 150 milliseconds, the cells can be entrained. That allows the system to respond more rapidly, right? If the, if the cells are being trained or synchronized in one leak cycle, so in one leak cycle we can decode the identity of the cube, which have also been shown by the work of Zachary Maynard in sniffing, that they require only one sniff to uh, detect or to discriminate another, right? In the taste system we are thinking is probably the same thing. Like a, so that rules out using the rhythm for an iterative method. So in the odor field, people had entertained the idea that on subsequent sniffs, you would divide the possibilities up. So on my first sniff, I decide, uh, you know, it's either it's this or this. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. But, but that's not the way it works in in olfaction. Well, you have to be, you have to be careful what, what the... I can't remember what the what the tasks were. Oh, so maybe it was a binary task, and one sniff would be enough. Well, or maybe something easy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, uh, just because you can detect something in one sniff doesn't mean you can detect... No, make that doesn't mean it's the end of the detection. It's the same with leaking, right? Yeah. With taste processing. So I have certain errors that in one leak cycle, after I've released the cues, the taste cues, in one leak cycle, they develop cue selectivity. So they discriminated to taste in one leak. Right, but that doesn't mean that the system stops there, and it, it also continues discriminating the taste. And after that, wine tasting would go like that. 
Because if, if because if, that, if, if you don't take a, a poison or a quinine, <laughs> then you will die. So it's a, evolutionarily there is a pressure to detect taste and faster, right? So if you go and drink a quinine, then sniffs does it take for wine? Well, yeah, I think you take one big one and let it linger, right? And then you swirl. <laughs> Is a swirl the same thing as a lick? I don't know. I don't know. Right. I love to detect the black currant and spices at the end. And also here, it's important the, the role of learning, right? Because once that you learn to, to discriminate a taste and after the first sip, then the next second sip might be faster, so you will... Discriminate much faster the responses. But is that is that true? Do they lick, do they do they when they are learning they lick slower than when they, they no no in fact they, they the licking rhythm gets more rhythmic when they learn the rats start licking more rhythmically and oh, okay. more precise. So that's consistent with what you yeah. So that also is like what's happening with the neurons because you said the the oscillating neurons are. Better. carrying more information, that must mean that their phase locking becomes better. That's how they can get yes. more information. Exactly. And uh, and so that the animal's own behavior is also becoming more uh, rhythmic. Maybe that... Has, yeah. I was thinking about that, the sort of informational aspect of this, because... And we sort of uh, mentioned it a second ago, because if you're... Uh, if there are an unknown number of choices, then you've got a lot of decisions to make. But if you boil it down to sucrose and quinine, yeah. then it's a it's a lot simpler job that you have to do. And so a big part of learning for the rat in your uh, discrimination task, where it just has to learn, I have to tell when it's going to be sucrose versus quinine, it's always going to be one of those, is just to eliminate all of the possibilities down to sucrose and quinine. Right. And then the task becomes... Uh, simpler. Uh, quicker, yeah, yeah. It should be easier. But isn't that why? It's because it's not most of the learning is not sucrose versus quinine or whatever. Is it like that? I like lick here, and then something goofy goes on over there, <laughs> right? That, that that there's some link or whatever. You're not. It doesn't seem. Uh, you know, I, I don't know whether people push hard. The discrimination task is easy, right? Mm -hmm. And sucrose versus quinine, they know which one is better. Right? right, and so it's a question of learning the contingencies of the task. That licking, the, getting some taste will mean that sometime later there there is some other thing that will be either good or bad. Because who knows? They could do all. Yeah, this is the question: What is the rat actually learning in this task? Yeah, I think it's the kind of the experimental setup. Because who knows it, what, what part crazy of it is just stuff? What are the choices going to be, and what are the possibilities? And right, uh, and the rat comes into that. Having had all kind of diverse experience, maybe not as diverse as a real rat, but, <laughs> but still more diverse than the task, and having to like rule out all the possibilities of of the things that might be linked there. Yeah, that that's why we use this state discrimination task because they are well controlled, so we can remove all the other possibilities and have control of the behavior. So when when we release the the, the taste and the taste cues, the animal is doing always the same behavior that is leaking. So we can try for all those those possibilities to discard those possibilities, and and of course it will be easier for the rat when there is only two options, right? So, but in real life you can have a full combination of of taste discriminations that will complicate the the learning process. But for for something we have to start. For, at some point we have to start with this 
simple tasks and then well, we don't want something different on every trial I guess because you want to be able to average over trial exactly But exactly. what about if the cues are very if the cues are or or so in this case I've used two taste cues that are sodium and MSG right so it's a pretty hard discrimination mm. because both has contained sodium right. and uh, it's a one one molar both both tastes so he's using th that to know yeah. whether he's going to get sucrose or quinine exactly mm. and and So it's it's a hard discrimination for the rat to discriminate sodium versus MSG monosodium glutamate. Uh, Does monosodium glutamate make the sucrose taste better? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the umami taste, right? It's the, the tasty flavor of meat, uh, <laughs> and tomato, and Parmesan cheese, <laughs> right? And Cheetos. So let's get to a Cummins. So a Cummins uh, in this learning system that you have defies entrainment by licking. And, yes, but you that, have, was, that was an exception that we found. But, but you have found a salient feeding signal that drives these neurons in another context. So can you talk about, about some of that, please? Sure. And what you think it's... So something that I have, I have said that uh, we have observed uh, that leaking entrains the rhythmic activity across several brain regions, but we found that the nucleus accumbens contains very few neurons that are entrained by the rhythmic leaking. So it was a puzzle for me to understand why this was happening, why these other brain regions are entrained by leaking but not the nucleus accumbens, especially because nucleus accumbens is related to feeding, and there's plenty of research and data suggesting that pharmacological manipulation of nucleus accumbens shells increase feeding or either decrease it, and, and dopamine depletion of... of in the nucleus accumbens can induce orofacial uh, impairments, even in Parkinson patients. So there was puzzling why these cells are not being entrained by, by the leaking, right? So we record uh, the nucleus accumbens. We do multi-channel recordings where the rat was freely leaking. Uh, uh, in this case, we use Ensure chocolate flavor that the rats love it. <laughs> and it's good for them. It's good for them, exactly. <laughs> and and we, also, we also drink it, so it's a very interesting stimuli, right? It stains <laughs> the graduate students and the rats. <laughs> and, and we found that, again, that these neurons are not entrained by rhythmic leaking. But then how, it was, how is that these neurons participate in feeding? So we observe neurons that are... Uh, the firing rate is modulated by the whole meal. So every time that the rat starts feeding itself, feed, feeding, the, the firing rate of the cell will increase or decrease in another population during the whole meal. So the firing rate modulation can be 15, maybe uh, 20 minutes long. And when the animal stops feeding, the firing rate comes back to baseline. Right. So we call these neurons meal-related neurons. Uh, we are characterizing their activity. So could you do something where you, where you uh, say, manipulate the, the, the taste or the reward of the, of the thing as it goes? Like, so suppose they're licking and they're getting all this ensure and it's great, and all of a sudden you like, thin it out and you switch it to water. 
So right. you think the incumbents would go like the the activity of the incumbents would like decrease as the was the reward or is it they're they're just feeding and then all of a sudden they go hey <laughs> and then they stop. <laughs> so is it going to go until they stop or is it going to go? With well, the, the rat would get mad with me. Well, I know, well, but so, for sure. So is the incumbents going to wait until the next motivational signal? Yeah, or yeah, or yeah. Does it depend on some kind of reward? Like yeah, we have observed this modulation even in when the animal. Leaks an empty tooth, so and we also observe these nerves are modulated by feeding uh, solid foods. Um, so it doesn't seems to be related, or even while drinking water, right? So these nerves doesn't seems to be modulated by the type of food that you are eating, but just the act of eating, right? But I, I guess I was asking a more whether, general. I was asking whether I guess I was asking whether it's kind of. Uh, uh, whether your action is rewarding, is some kind of reward thing, or it's like a, more of a, an approach signal. It's like your motivation. For it seems rewarding. to be more motivation signal, like an internal motivation signal. That right now I'm going to start feeding uh, more than the reward part. So you that think sounds more like an executive signal, right? Saying executive now signal. Now. Yes, exactly. So you think is that is that possible? Maybe more? a gate signal that right. allows the animal to. So you, but in both directions, excitatory and inhibitory. And the amplitude is not related to the hedonic value. Mm-hmm. So that's what you're saying. Well, there is a, a manuscript of uh, Sharif Taha mm-hmm. that he addressed that question in a, a proper task uh, where he modulates the reward value of, of the reward. And he found that there is neurons in nucleus accumbens that are modulated by the reward value. So between higher the reward, the more firing they would do. This is a small population, right? So we don't really know at this moment if these male-related neurons are are encoding uh, or are demodulated by the by the reward value of, of food. Uh, that's an interesting experiment that we need to test. No? Now we can identify these neurons that are modulated by the male, and now we can take the same rat and then do a behavioral task to answer that question, to interrogate the neuron and say, okay, do you respond to to the relative value of reward or the the reward value? So that's an interesting experiment to like do. It's sort of a feature in, of, of stride and, and of other, right. other places too, that, that in the population of cells in a particular place, you find some percentage right. that are responding to this aspect of the task Another percentage that's yes. responding to a completely, totally different aspect of the task, and they're all just mixed in. They're a single, they're a single morphological cell type or a single <laughs> set of morphological cell types. What? How should we interpret that? I mean, that's not how people think about the brain. Most people think, uh, uh, what? In fact, people probably ask you, so what does the nucleus accumbens do? Right. And, right. And yeah. you say, well. Thirty percent of this. <laughs> yeah, that's a, a, a tough question. Like, <laughs> what's it mean they, that they, there's so much heterogeneity in that in the nucleus accumbens or in the dorsal striatum? Or right. So, so it seems to be like this is a democracy, or what it is. So, is the brain region that has more neurons related to a specific task, or all the neurons are important in an ensemble, in a kind of a network? I, I believe it's more that there's no one brain region that is involved in feeding. So it, as a matter of fact, if you lesion nucleus accumbens, the animal can still go and feed, right? So it seems to be a more uh, 
redundant network and more distributed network that all these neurons have to be involved. What is important here is that with, with the freely leaking behavior at libitum intake, you can identify these neurons that are related to the meal, to, to, to the fact of eating. And, and now we can answer, take these neurons and they start saying, okay, what, what do you do else? What do you encode now? And then this is important because it's a new way to think about electrophysiology, right? So instead of taking this task in a complex behavioral task and asking a particular question, so now how these neurons are being modulated during a, a, a natural behavior that is feeding, right? Which is more important for, for example, for obesity, right? Or to understand the neurobiology of, of appetite. So what is happening with this part of the brain when the animal is feeding. Now, these neurons are encoding a specific thing. Let's test it in a different paradigm. But that information is important. So we have to... to Now what I'm going to do is start tracking these neurons, the meal-related neurons, and start asking them, okay, how many of these neurons are, in fact, encoding the reward value? Or maybe none of them, right? Yeah, the... the, the it's interesting to find these meal-related neurons because it's a system that can regulate the meal size, which is important for pharmaceutical, for uh, therapeutics, right? So having a system that can be manipulated specifically so you can reduce the meal size, so you can make shorter meals, that will reduce the overconsumption and probably decrease the, the, the overweight problem that we so speaking <laughs> of signals converging, so you've also found, so you're the first to report there's a converging sleep signal also. Yes, exactly. And so can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. That? So these meal-related neurons, then we, we analyze the, the, if they were modulated by sleep or by the sleep-waking cycle. And we found that the majority of these neurons are, in fact, being modulated by the sleep. So that means... If the cell fire more for during feeding, it can fire less for during the slow way sleep and more when there is awake. In between, when they are, the cells, when the rat is awake, um, so this was interesting because sleep and feeding seems to be intrinsically related. So after a copious meal, so we have a postprandial sleep, right? It's well known phenomenon for if we go to a good restaurant and overeat. So we will probably feel tired after the meal, right? So that was an interesting result. So these neurons are also being modulated by slow way sleep, by by the global brain state, basically. Right? Does this tell us something about where how the connectivity of this network? Like, are these cells that are just more tied into lateral hypothalamus versus some yeah, other well, area? Yeah, it's the nucleus accumbens shell, so it has a strong projection to lateral hypothalamus. Mm -hmm. um, which is a good target to do experiments, right? To mm -hmm. record both places, the nucleus accumbens cells and the lateral hypothalamus, and to see how these brain regions interact during feeding. <clears throat> during feeding, uh, that's something that we need to do. <laughs> so, could you do something else with, like, you know, other kinds of motivated rewards that may be related to, uh, you know, to processing food and so forth? I mean, I don't know whether rats find exercise motivating or make them... We do, right? <laughs> it depends on who you are, right? Yeah. But uh, whether you can make, you know, make them run before they get a meal or something like that, 
and whether this all the ones that are modulated by is this a different population that'll be yeah. anticipated? I mean, it'll be good for because it's also related to what obesity and and the intake and the energy. You know, it's it, it may be likely if you think of the the gustatory system and the food and food intake and sleep is regulating you know behavioral state that may be tied up with exercise and use of all that kind of stuff. Um, I just have any idea. Yeah, a, there's a plenty of questions that we can answer now, having identified these meal-related errors. So we we ask also if they are sensitive to peripheral satiety signals, for example, right? And we use uh, CCK, which is a peptide that is releasing the duodenum uh, after uh, a food is a food rich in protein and fat. Is so when you eat a, a food rich in protein and fat, the CCK is being released um, normally. So when you inject exogenous CCK, the animal just stop feeding. So it affects the meal size. So it makes a shorter meal size. And high doses of CCK also induce um, postprandial sleep. So there was a nice uh, drug to peptide to try. So it affects both the sleep and feeding. And we say, well, are the meal-related neurons affected by CCK? So we inject IP uh, through a catheter. Uh, a catheter. Um, we inject CCK, and we observe that these neurons are indeed being modulated by peripheral satiety signals, right? So, so one of the great things about that is that you you sort of know a part of the circuit. It's not. Yes. It's not the whole brain that's sensitive to CCK. That's right. There's just specific place where CCK can get through the blood-brain barrier and act on neurons. Yeah. And so that means that the, that the origin of that signal in the brain is sort of known. Is that is that right? Well, the, the, of course we take advantage of the literature, and there's plenty of works showing that the peripheral satiety signal activates the vagus nerve. And it doesn't cross the blood oh, I see. Barrier. It doesn't actually act on yeah. the brain at all. Yeah, exactly. So it's more peripheral. So it's an interaction between the gut and the brain. It's a gut-brain interaction. And so... This so at least you still know that. You know yes. That, yes, uh, we know that. We, we, we know that. Because part of the, what's confusing to me about this is... Um, this is part of what the problem with anything that's rhythmic is that you can't tell what's causing <laughs> what. Because... <laughs> Uh, things that could be leading or lagging, right. they look the same. <laughs> so, uh, so tracing out where the signals come from, uh, you know, what it becomes especially difficult. And for, if you, yeah, if it's the whole, it's the whole system. system. It's the whole rat. What is the frequency of the gut movement? <laughs> I don't know. Okay, I won't pursue that. <laughs> <laughs> it was the ultimate question. <laughs> so I think the oscillations there are just a way to group in neurons, to group neurons. And we still haven't answered the question of what information they are transferring, right? Or if this synchrony has a function. So uh, we need to, to develop a knockout mouse or, or, or find situations where this oscillation doesn't occur and then to find out what are the functional implications of these oscillations. So that's a step what we need to do. Uh, maybe with optogenetics so we can uh, shine light in the taste receptor cells in the tongue 
and, and activates the taste stand in a rhythmic manner and see how the brain gets uh, activated with synchrony stimulation or with pulsatile stimulation or, or, or just a constant stimulation, right? Yeah. So that will answer the question. But at this moment, it's still difficult to, to, to answer. But it's a good question to do. It's a good experiment to do. There's an optogenetic experiment for everything. Yes, there is. <laughs> it foretells the future of neuroscience. <laughs> well, thanks for being with us, Manier. This has been Neuroscientist Talk Shop. Thank you. Thank you.